as we worship this morning, I'm reminded as I look at my topic of something I heard recently um, on the, the media. There was someone who was interested in just learning what are children's concepts of what does it take to go to heaven? And so they were interviewing children, and the interviewer asked, if you worked really hard and you went to your church and you cleaned it, would that get you into heaven? And they're like, no. And then he said, if you ate all your vegetables on your plate all the time, would that get you into heaven? And they're like, no. And they said, what if you walked 10 people across the street um, at a busy intersection and, and help them. Would that get you into heaven? And they're like, no. And then thinking, maybe these kids understand that, you know, it's not by works that you get into heaven. So he asked them, how do you get into heaven? And they said, you die, silly. <laughs> <clears throat> but as we look to look at our own lives and we think about what does God really want for us what does god want from us what does god as he calls us into his presence and who he calls to be what does he want from us and we see as we are looking in micah this morning the minor prophet that god has been really really frustrated and we see this over and over as this time period of the minor prophets and as the people continue to do worship, but their heart's not there, their heart's not in their worship, their heart is continually thinking of what can I do to go against God and, and what would be evil. And I, as I think about my own life, I'm reminded of so many things about where I find myself even thinking about bad stuff I can do to get away with it. And you're thinking, you're the preacher, you wouldn't do that. Honest, I, this thought went through my head this week. So I'm buying auto parts for my car, and I usually, and, and I, when I work on my cars, I usually um, work on my car myself, and I usually try to buy parts that have a lifetime warranty. And then as I think about that, because when the part goes out again, because I keep my cars for a long time, that it'll be free replacement after that. And then as I bought a new lower ball joint for one of my vehicles, and I, I know that one of them's wearing out and the other one will be wearing out soon after that, I thought, you know, I only need to buy one. Because then if I buy one, and then when the other one wears out, I can turn it in and say it's that one, and then I could get two ball joints for one. Because I wonder, what do people think about, what's it mean to think about bad stuff all the time? And I found myself thinking that, and then God spoke to me and said, Randy, is your... Is your integrity worth $21 for a new lower ball joint? And I'm like, I guess not. But as we seriously look at who is God calling us to be, let's listen to these words of, of Micah the prophet. And the setting here, he's creating an understanding that this is a courtroom. And in this courtroom, the people are on trial because they have been going against God. And so we'll start with six. One. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. 
my people. So here he is. He's, he's addressing the, the audience of the mountains and the hills. And God's making his case. And he starts by saying his end of the bargain has been kept. God says, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered? Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. But with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted one? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased? And this is the people's response back. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, for the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? And then the prophet answers, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. O man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of you. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So as the people have been rebelling, they have been still worshiping, but God is fed up with their acts of worship because their hearts were not in it. He, even though they could offer rivers of oil and sacrifice after sacrifice, God was wanting more from that. And here in the minor prophet, as he is sharing with them, he's recognizing that he is asking for their hearts and their behavior. And God is wanting to transform that. The one aspect that I want to look at this morning is this walking humbly with God. And what does that mean? As we jump to the New Testament, we understand as Jesus has had many conversations with people. People would go up to Jesus and ask him, what does it take for me to enter the kingdom of heaven? What does, it, what does the Lord require of me? I find it really fascinating that Jesus gave lots of different answers to that. Jesus did not have one pat answer to answer everyone who came to him. And so he responded in ways that matched the heart of the person he was asking I remember early in John, in John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and says, what must I do? And Jesus answers him something that took him back. It was, you must be born again. And then they had a discussion about what does that mean, and it led to Jesus saying our common verse that we know, John 3, 16. But then you have other places where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I need? And Jesus says, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And he walked away sad because he was not willing to do that. But then you have Zacchaeus who comes to Jesus and just volunteers. I'm going to give half of what I have away. And Jesus says, that's awesome. Well done. So for all of us, it's important that as we approach Jesus with an understanding of who is Jesus calling me to be and what is Jesus calling me to respond with in my love and my worship, it's very important that we listen because what God tells us may be different a little bit from person to person 
as God is wanting whatever I think that is in our hearts that we're putting up as a barrier between ourselves and God. And so it's important that we tune in to the words of God to listen. And here as we look at this aspect, God is telling the people to walk humbly with him. Now, humility is something that it's a word that we all hear. And if you ask anyone, do you think it's important to be humble? Is, is that true? Do, do you want to be humble? Everyone would say yes. That would be a, almost akin to saying, do you want some free money? You would say yes, I will take that. But humility is something that as we are called to understand what that means, very often it may get lost in how we interpret that and what we think that looks like. I know in my experience and, and, and reading, I've run across this, this idea that very often being humble is put into to two camps. And we'll call one camp is being big and one camp is being small. You see, I remember in the 90s, especially in school systems and other places, it was taught because of low self-esteem issues that it was taught that everyone is special Everyone is awesome, and even as that was taught, it, it's, it's one, it's, you know, the question, can everyone be special and everyone be awesome? What makes someone feel worthy? Or the other camp is, I'm small, that we are all small, we're unworthy of any, anything because of how bad we are and how bad that we are behaving and how bad we're doing. Well, I want to challenge that maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. You see, the, the, the enemy of, of those who want us to think big is, that, is pride. We don't want to be prideful. And the other enemy is shame. So you have these two poles, is that one, the enemy is shame, and the other one, the enemy is too much pride. And so how do we answer this question? What does it mean to be truly humble? Because we don't want to be in a place where we think that we're like unworthy completely and we think that we're a bad person. And we, we teach these ten things in, in tension during time periods because we all want to be aware of our sin and how our sin is a barrier between us and God. But at the same time, we recognize we're created in the image of God and we are called to be who God calls us to be in, in God's image. So we've got this tension that's going on about who are we and how do we live lives so that we're not like too puffed up, but also not putting ourselves too far down. And it's humility somewhere there in the middle. I'd like to read in Matthew 23, 1 through 12. And in this passage, Jesus is, is talking about this, and as he's preparing to really let loose on the Pharisees, he gives an example as he's talking to the crowds and his disciples, and he's dealing with this, this topic of, of humility as he's, he's watching what's going on, as the Pharisees are, are lording things over people, and then other people are too far down in the dumps and thinking they're too worthy of God's love. So Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, and I want to be reading Danny from you. Okay. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees 
fit in. It's not working on the screen, so I will pull it up. Oh, the teachers of law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels. And do you know what a phylactery is? So a phylactery is within the teaching is little boxes that they would put scripture in. They would put the law in these phylacteries and wear them. And it's part of a teaching within the Old Testament of, of where, you know, God's law on your forehead and on your arm. And so they would literally make little boxes and they would wear this as a symbol of having God on their person, a part of who they are. But then the, the call is, like, some of these people are making big old boxes, you know, to wear on their heads um, to show off that they are holy people. Anyway, they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And they love the place of honor at banquets and in the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers and do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven nor are you, are you to be called instructors or teachers for you have one instructor the messiah the greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted so Jesus is talking here about terms and labels, and these labels that he says don't use, Jesus uses these labels other places in his ministry and he's talking. So the point he is making is that as you live life, don't be putting people too high on a pedestal. It's good to encourage people and let them know um, that they're, they, they are created in the image of God, but don't put people too high on a pedestal like the Pharisees are putting themselves, and don't contribute to that. But at the same time, don't put yourself so low that you are below other people. You're, you're all brothers. You're all siblings. You're all brothers and sisters together. You're all on the same level playing field. And no one is higher or lower than anyone else. And it's important to know that as we live this way, that we recognize that how to do that very carefully is to notice what are we putting in our priority in our life. You see, sometimes the, the people who are the camp is that we need to be small. Um, sin is the center of everything. Sin, recognizing how sinful we are, and if sin is the center of that world, then that is unhealthy. On the other extreme is that in Camp Big, the ideal self is at center, like growing and being the best that I can be and having a really high self-esteem, that's at the center. But I think what Christ is clearly calling us to and, and going back to the words of Micah, that true humility is understanding that God, that Christ is the center of our world. And ultimate humility isn't unnecessarily beating ourselves up or putting ourselves below other people. 
true humility is putting the cross as the center of our lives. It's putting Jesus as the center of our lives. And there we're, we're not pushing ourselves too far down or too far high. We're just zeroing in on the cross and who Jesus is. And that is ultimately true humility in what that means. You see, it's the balance that Christ needs to be the center of our lives. And he calls us to rest in that. Like to rest in that fact that Jesus is the center and we do not need to worry about our, statter, our status and being above or below anyone else. As I was preparing this message and trying to understand what does this mean about being above someone or below someone, God gave me a really good example of that in my own life in a really bad way. So all my stories this morning are how Randy messes up. So we... Um, our family went somewhere yesterday as a family, and as we were in this, this public place, um, a person said something to us that kind of cut a little bit. It, it, it hurt a little bit. And instead of responding um, to that in a way of coming from a place of humility, I responded back to that in just a little bit that person in their place and then that person chewed on that a little bit and then a poker game started happening you see I up the ante when I challenge them back and then they up the ante and challenge back again and this became an understanding in a very quick way of us upping the ante and trying to win. And I mentioned in, in a sermon a while back about um, a, a book that Andy Stanley wrote called Not In It to Win It. Well, see, I entered into this poker game with upping the ante to win it. And so when this person upped the ante again, then I publicly let them know that I won. This is what good behavior would be. And I explained to that person, and there's people in this room, and I'm friends with half of them, that, and they don't go to our church. And I won that. Randy won that little poker game of upping ante about who was right and who was wrong. So Randy won. And you know who lost? She lost. And who else lost? Jesus lost. And that I wasted an opportunity to be humble I wasted an opportunity to show love to this other person because I wanted to win and I did win and I walked away and one of my friends who was there who, who doesn't go to church and I texted them and I said was I ugly in there and the person responded back do you want to know the truth and I said yes that's why I'm asking and they said yes and I'm like, oh. so I recognized as I'm preparing to deliver a message on humility, I put that aside for two minutes so that I could win an argument with another human being. And so now I need to go back to this place and apologize, um, not for winning, not for being right, but for humiliating another person publicly 
because I thought I was right and I needed to win. In fact, nobody won that discussion. So for us to truly live a life of, of humility, of putting Jesus first, it's, it's a journey. It is work. It is something that we're called to do, but we can be blind to our own lack of humility. We can be blind to our own rebellion against God. And sometimes we need each other to help us to walk through that. And so that's why I asked a third party, because I knew I must have done something wrong, because one, I couldn't remember the incident as I was thinking about it very well afterwards. And if I couldn't remember it very well, that tells me that I let my, the amygdala part of my brain take over, you know, your anger part of, of, of things. And so my amygdala took over, and then you shut off your prefrontal cortex, and you're not thinking about things carefully and then you don't remember it. And that's why when we're angry, we do things that we um, don't think through, and we just do them out of response. But God calls us to maintain a, a, a sense of control and humility as we face whatever we have to face in life. And so I want all of us to think this morning, are we putting Jesus at the center of it all? I'm sorry, this is rubbing my so as we put Jesus at the center of it all, as we put Jesus at the center of our lives, he is the only one who can truly teach us what it means to be humble. What does it mean to put Jesus first and other people ahead of ourselves? He is the only one who can teach us how to be generous with our time, generous with, with not worrying about status and who's winning and who's not winning. You see, Jesus calls us to win, not ourselves, but to humbly put Christ in the center so that we can point to Jesus. And so I want to ask you this morning to think about your level of humility as you walk, because we can be blind to it, we really can. And I want to have all of us ask the question, what part of my lives do I need to be set free from in order fully to focus on Jesus? So one of the areas in my life is I have this, you don't see it very often, but this very quick temper that'll come out and it only lasts like 30 seconds, 15 seconds or 30 seconds, then it's over. But that's wrong. I need to be living so even that quick 15-second temper doesn't come out. And Lisa's laughing out there because she knows me well. Um, but to, to understand what that is, and that's an area in my life that I need to be set free from, that I need to continually be working on to set free from, but only by the work and the power of putting Jesus first and primary in my life. So what is your area? What is the area in your life that you're hanging on to, that you think you've got to win, this area that thinks that you have to be above another person or another situation? Well, we don't have to be. You see, Jesus has won it all for us already. We do not have to worry about our status and where we're at in life. We don't have to put other people in their place when they're wrong. That's Jesus' work in their life. So as we come together to work in this broken world, living in a sense of humility and who God calls us to be, as we put Jesus first, it's amazing what Jesus can work through when we all humble ourselves and become who Jesus is calling us to be. Heavenly Father, as we recognize 
your role and your work in our lives. Help us to be people of humility who are walking humbly with you. Not just passing by, but walking implies a journey. So may we continue the journey of humility, of learning what that means, of learning what your mercy means, learning who you call us to be, as we strive to be that person you call us to be. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.